Heavenly Father, we do thank you for being able to corporately worship. It's still something we're allowed to do. We're allowed to bring your word and to open it and share it, to preach it, proclaim it. And yet we know that uh, the storm clouds are darkening. Father, you said that, and there's something even exciting about that, though, because it is a, impresses upon us that the time is drawing near when you will call your bride home. In the meantime, you want us to be faithfully serving you. You're still saving people, and we praise and thank you for that. Father, we are called to bear one another's burdens. We talked about those who are out of work and those who are their health is failing them. Lord, thank you for those that belong to you that are in this situation. We would ask for special grace and mercy for them. May you be glorified in that which they're going through. May you sustain them. We're so thankful that, Lord, there are times when they have good days and they're not overwhelmed by pain. And, Lord, there's also that time when you will call them unto yourself. For each one of us, there will be that time. We thank you that you won that victory at Calvary, that you were raised from the dead, and that we too will be raised from the dead, that when we die, we will go into your presence, and we will be liberated like never that could we even comprehend We thank you for this great promise and provision that you've made for us. Lord, we do pray for those who are out of work and ask for special mercy and that you'd open up the door for them for work. Father, I would pray too with the flock here for our nation. We're very troubled by what's going on. Again, you've uh, predicted this 2,000 years ago in the scriptures. We can see where we are And uh, I think of even Shram Hadian, and I thank you for this man and his faithfulness to your word and his concern for the nation and that he had the opportunity to share last Sunday from this pulpit. And God, uh, bless him and use him. And Lord, may we be aware and wise. And I pray that your word would have such power in our lives and we would be people more and more of prayer, powerful prayer. May we not hang on to our lives, but may we lose them as we've even sung in these choruses. For your sake, Lord Jesus Christ, help us with that. Help us to know that we're here for you. We're in a war. We will win that war. And Father, just help us to release our lives into your hands, whether it be standing at an abortion clinic to, to stand for life that's sacred to, for you or whatever the situation may be, that, Lord, we would be faithful. It reminds me of our missionaries. Lord, soon Judy Strand will be going back to Nigeria, a very dangerous place, even in the news today. Thank you that she's willing to go and lay down her life. But, Lord, may we hold the lifeline of prayer for her, I pray. And so as we look at this precious book, the last book of the Bible today, would you speak to our hearts and bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I was uh, glad when Paul Malaszewski invited me to go to lunch with him and visit with Sharam Hadian. That was about three or four weeks ago. Never did I have in my mind that I was going to have him come here and speak to you. But as I was visiting with him, I realized how very important it was to uh, have him share his message with you. And I understand that you were blessed. And he has taught me a lesson. I can add another 15 minutes to my preaching. <laughs> 
But uh, I heard you were not disappointed at all by that, and I rejoice that God worked that out because little did I know that I was not going to be back anyway. They pulled that plane on Saturday and said, you're not going anywhere until tomorrow. So God worked all that out, and I'm very thankful for that. Well, when Mary and I got back from Virginia, one of the things you do is go through the mail. And in the mail, I received a flyer that many of you received as well. And I'll tell you, it is very, very well done. It's this flyer here. It says, uh, has the four apocalyptic horsemen. How many of you got this in the mail? I thought so. It was not just in Arlington. I mean, this thing is widespread throughout the state, maybe even other states as well. But it has the four apocalyptic horsemen of Revelation 6. It's got the space needle and the uh, skyscrapers down there. And there's uh, the judgment of God evidently falling upon uh, Seattle. And it says here, it's time to rethink what you think about end times. I mean, this is very, very well done. And uh, I read the inside, as you probably did as well. And I suspected I knew who put it out. And so I went online to be sure of that. And that's where I learned that uh, it is uh, starts on October 4th. And uh, uh, as I said, it is, it is a major campaign on prophetic events that's being put out by the Seventh-day Adventists. Interesting to me because a lot of what the Seventh-day Adventists teach, and they do believe in salvation by faith alone and Christ alone. If you didn't know that, you can research that out and, and find that out. But when it comes to the book of Revelation, there's a few problems there, as you might guess. And years ago, I had the opportunity of attending one of these seminars. And um, unless they have changed their theological views, uh, you'll find out that the mark of the beast is Sunday worship. So you got to start there that you're guilty of that. You're caught up in that. And uh, uh, you'll find out when it gets to Revelation chapter 12 that it's amazing what they do with that chapter. I, uh, you've got uh, the, the church giving birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, then later on, the church goes through this tunnel. But at the end, uh, 1260 years later, it comes out something different than the church. Well, I wanted to say, and it was a very, very large, I think about 500 people attending the seminar, I wanted to ask the question, in what sense did the church give birth to uh, the man-child, the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I'm aware that the nation of Israel gave birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. And why did you change the 1260 days, which is even emphasized in days and months and a time and times and a half a time, meaning three and one half years, why did you change that to years? And uh, did you not realize in Revelation 12, that figurative language, there's only one other place in all the Bible in the Old Testament where it mentions the very same figurative language, and that is the key that unlocks the interpretation of chapter 12. Well, all that to say that uh, uh, I thought it interesting that you and I received that flyer uh, here uh, just when, prior to uh, my going to Virginia about, about two months ago, I thought when I finish the book of Acts, I really want to take a journey through the first five chapters of the book of Revelation. It's not my intent to go through the whole book. That may happen, but that was not my intent. My intent was this. I see what's going on in the world as you do. I see dramatic changes coming swiftly. And I believe it's so important that we get a high view of the glorified Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the church needs. That's what you need. Whatever you're going to go through, you need a high view of the glorified Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so that's what set me in the direction of the book of Revelation. I want you, if you would, to... Uh, and by the way, I realize, I really understand the importance before God that I do my very best to rightly divide this word of truth and not take you into error. Now, I understand when you get the book of Revelation, there's a lot of things that we're not going to fully understand, but there are other things that can be clearly understood, and God wrote it for that reason that we could understand it, that it could bless and minister to us. And so you be praying for me uh, as I take you through these first five chapters. And um, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to direct as we look at the very first three verses this morning. Would you turn to Revelation 1? And you have an outline there that I encourage you to follow along with as well in your uh, out bulletin there. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Revelation 1, the first three verses. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed or keep the things which are written in it, for the time is near. We're going to begin this morning with the uniqueness of the book of Revelation. That's the first major point in your outline, the uniqueness of the book of Revelation. First, it is the only book of prophecy in all the New Testament. It's the only book of prophecy in all the New Testament. Now, the other books contain prophecy. For example, Matthew, 28 chapters there, you have 24 and 25. Mark also has the Olivet Discourse in Mark 13 and Luke as well in chapter 21. Romans 9 through 11 also deal with prophecy to some extent, the nation of Israel and they're being grafted in and getting saved. And you also find prophetic scriptures in, for example, First and Second Thessalonians and James chapter 5. Second Peter, for example, and Jude. But no other book of the Bible, the New Testament that is, is a book of prophecy except this last book in your Bible. Look at Revelation 1.3. We just read that. Verse 3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy. When you get to the 22nd chapter, you'll find that statement given twice over again. So these are words of prophecy. This is a prophetic book. And though there are those who think that most or all of the prophecies of the book of Revelation have already transpired, you can guess where I stand on that. I, for one, do not. I believe that most all of this book is yet future. Chapter 6 through 19 have not as yet taken place. Uh, In fact, chapter 20 that prophesies the resurrection of all the righteous coming back to life and their reign with Christ for a thousand years here on the earth has not yet taken place. The resurrection of the unrighteous wicked prophesied in that same chapter has not yet taken place, nor has the great white throne judgment where all the unsaved are cast into the lake in fire. That's not taken place. And that's just to name a few of the prophecies that have not yet taken place. And there are many Christians, though, who spiritualize this last book of the Bible. 
They say, no, it, it's, it's, you know, figurative language, and indeed there's a lot of that. There's a lot of typology and symbolism in it. And they say, well, what it is, it's, 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 uh, it's to be taken figurative. That is, Christ has already been reigning, and he's been doing that for 2,000 years. That's the millennial reign of Christ. And so they spiritualize it, and they don't take it literally. They say that Satan has been cast into the bottomless pit, and believe me, I really have problems with that. Because if that's where he is now, God help us when he's released out of there. As the world seems to get worse and worse. And uh, so Christ has not been enjoying his millennial thousand-year reign. They say, well, he has. It's from heaven over the earth and not literally here upon the earth. Again, I'm convinced that a literal interpretation and understanding of the book of Revelation, along with a careful examination of the symbolism and typology presented in this book, will leave you with only one option. That is a yet future. And we're living right on the edge of that, I think. We're seeing worldwide events that lead me to believe we're really on the edge, and so it's really an appropriate book for now. Number two, though, is the only book of prophecy in all the New Testament. Number two, it, unlike the prophetic book of Daniel, is an open book to be read and understood. you gotta, you got to see that. This is an open book. That God gave to us. The angel said to Daniel, chapter, last chapter, Daniel chapter 12 verse 4, but as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end time. Until the end time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Well, that certainly happened today, isn't it? Boy, you talk about the explosion of knowledge. People going back and forth. I mean, I just, we just went to Virginia and back within a few hours, you know. Barring a layover, of course. (laughs) And then Daniel 12, verse 9, it says, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time. What's that imply? At the end of time, they're going to be unsealed, aren't they? Now we come to the end time and to the last book of our Bible that closes the canon of Scripture the book of Revelation, and what do we read? The very last chapter, verse 10, we read, And he, the angel, said to me, John, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. So this before us is an open book and very important for God's people today, as it was even in the first century there. Number three, It is the final book of the Bible, completing all God's revealed plan. I mean, Genesis through Jude, there were a lot of things that God presented to us, right? Things that he said would happen, and this is the final book of your Bible that completes all God's revealed plan plan. One thing I hate, and that is, you know, you're watching a good movie or something that's got you really, and then they say, to be continued, you know, or reading a book and you don't know what happened the last chapter, you know. Well, God did not do that. He said, this will be completed. I'm going to tell you how this is all going to play out in my revealed plan. As the four Gospels present to us the Lord Jesus Christ coming in humility and going to the cross and dying an ignoble death, and that's how the world last saw God's Son on that cross. 
But the book of Revelation presents him coming again in great power and glory. And like John, I often say in that last chapter, even so, come Lord Jesus. As far as I'm concerned, I don't have to finish this message. Let him come. Let him come. And we need a lot more amens than that. Some of you might be left behind here. I don't know. Well, Revelation touches on things in heaven and on earth and in the earth. It speaks of Christ, of angels, and of Satan and his demons, of war up in heaven, and of Armageddon on the earth, of the great wrath of God being poured out in the devastating judgments that will take place upon the whole earth in a span of three and one half years. In this book, we see the fall and the destruction of Satan and his final world empire. We behold the glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth and His slaughter of the nations and His judging all mankind. He comes and establishes His millennial reign, that thousand-year reign, and raises the righteous dead, and they reign with Him during that time. We see Him casting Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet into that lake of fire where they're going to be tormented day and night forever and ever. We also behold the whole world of the unsaved from the beginning of creation standing at the great white throne judgment and there being condemned as well for turning away Jesus Christ and rejecting Him and His offer of salvation. And they too are cast into that eternal lake of fire. In the last two chapters, we're shown the new heaven and the new earth along with that glorious city, the new Jerusalem, where all the redeemed throughout the ages will live and enjoy the very presence of God. No other book, no other book describes the great consummation of the ages. No other book in the Bible has such circumference and height in depth, as does this last book in your Bible. It completes all God's revealed plan pertaining to the earth, to Satan and his demons, to all mankind, both the saved and the unsaved. And most of all, most of all, it completes his plan that pertains to the glorious exaltation of his precious beloved Son. Yes, indeed, this last book of your Bible, the book of Revelation, is a very unique book from the rest of all the Bible. Well, that brings me to the next major point I want to share with you. This revelation is God's gift to His Son. That is very key here. This revelation is God's gift to his son. Look at verse 1 again. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him. Stop there. God gave this revelation as a gift to his son. The word revelation means to unveil, to uncover, to reveal. It's apocalypto's word. So it means an unveiling, an uncovering, and God gave this unveiling this uncovering to his son. Number two, this is a revelation about God's son. Indeed, it is that. It is a revelation about God's son. Certainly the apostle John remembered those three and a half years that he walked with the Lord Jesus Christ when he was here in his humility. I mean, he probably could even describe what he looked like. He was with him for three and a half years. He lived with him. 
He spent time with him. He heard him speak and so forth. And he bore various burdens with him and so forth. And yet never had he seen the Lord Jesus Christ like he sees him and has revealed to him in this book. For example, look at verses 12 through 18. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. Having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. By the way, this uses a lot of typology, but a lot of it is described down at the end of this chapter. It describes those lampstands, what they, what they mean. And in the middle of the lampstand, I saw one like a son of man. Terminology from Daniel, by the way. And Jesus often called himself the son of man when he was here with his disciples. Clothed in a robe reaching to his feet, girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool. John never saw Jesus like this when he walked with him here on the earth. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came the sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. John had never seen Jesus revealed like this. And so indeed, this is a book, a revelation about the Lord Jesus Christ. To John and to you and me. This really is a revelation about God's Son. Just consider, for example, how He is described throughout these 22 chapters in this book. Now, I'm not going to give you the references. We'd be spending too much time. But listen as I read down this list of how Jesus is described. And you'll see this is indeed a revelation about Jesus Christ describing Him to you and me. He's called the faithful witness. The firstborn from the dead. The ruler over the kings of the earth, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Who is and who was and who is to come? The Almighty, the first and the last, the Son of Man. He who lives, he who holds the seven golden lampstands, he who has a sharp two-edged sword, Son of God. He who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He who is holy. He who is true. He who has the key of David. He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. The Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. The Lamb, Lord, holy and true, Lord God Almighty, King of the saints, the Word of God, King of kings and Lord of lords, the bright morning star, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. What a testimony to the person and work of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the focus of it all, the centerpiece of the pages of the book of Revelation, the reason for its message. Truly, this is a revelation about God's Son. But number three, number three, 
This is a revelation of God's Son coming in glory. It's not only about Him introducing Him to you in most unique descriptions and so forth, but it's also a revelation of His coming in glory. Look at verse 7 with me of chapter 1. Right out the gates, the very beginning of the letter, Behold! He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. That's the Jewish people. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. And so this is a revelation of him coming in glory. In fact, when you get to chapter 19, we see him coming in glory and power back to the earth to judge Satan and the demons and all mankind and to establish his reign, his millennial reign, his rightful rule over all the earth and everything on it. That is what this is all about. And so indeed it is a revelation of God's Son coming in glory. But number four, number four, this is a revelation to God's Son, describing His exaltation and glory. It is God's gift to His Son. His special gift to His Son. Remember John 17 when Jesus was about to go to the cross and He had that prayer? That precious prayer? Listen to verses 4 and 5, how He prayed. This is Jesus' prayer to the Father just before going to the cross. He prayed, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Listen. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. That was His prayer. And God honored that prayer. I want you to turn to Philippians 2. I know you're familiar with it, but keep your place in Revelation and turn to Philippians 2. In Philippians 2, we're going to cut right in the middle of this, verse 6, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ who although he existed in the form of God, this is prior to his coming to earth, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held on to, but emptied himself. I think that means he voluntarily relinquished the use of certain of his divine attributes, and he's willing to humble himself to the extent he did, taking the form of a bond servant, a bond slave, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what he prayed there in that high priestly prayer in John 17. I have glorified you, he said. I have fulfilled your will by going to the cross. Now verse 9 and following. For this reason also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Boy, 
God says, Son, I highly exalted you. Every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You say, this is a revelation from God, a gift to His Son. Didn't He know this? Well, when He was here on the earth, I said He voluntarily relinquished the use of certain of His attributes. And you might recall that He said to His disciples, of that day and hour no one knows, not the angels of heaven, nor even the Son of Man. Now the Holy Spirit knew and God the Father knew, but Jesus voluntarily relinquished the use of that all-knowingness that He had prior to His coming to the earth. And so He did not know the time of that event, the specific time. But then He ascended back up into heaven and there He was uh, seated at the right hand of the Father and now that all-knowingness that He voluntarily relinquished, He now has again. And obviously He knew that before John wrote this. And so what the Father revealed to Him, He now reveals to the angel to give to John. But I want you to see the significance of this. As verse 1 says, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave Him. In other words, putting it into our words, God said to this beloved Son, because you have glorified me by accomplishing the work on earth that I sent you to do, here's how I'm going to exalt you. This is how it's going to play out. And the book of Revelation unfolds the very steps that God will take to do so. This revelation is God's gift to His beloved Son. And that's why Paul describes it, I think, in a nutshell when he says here, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and every single knee will bow. And this unfolds how that's all going to play out. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that's a demonic world. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He said, son, this is my gift to you. And I'm presenting to you how it's all going to play out blow by blow, step by step. That brings us to the next important part of the outline. The great importance of this revelation to you and me. Oh my, how important this is to you and me. The great importance of this revelation to you and me. For he writes there that he gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy, and heed or keep the things which are written in it for the time is near the great importance of this revelation to you and me. Number one, God gave it to His Son to show to us. Isn't that great? I mean, it's the Son who is to be exalted and glorified, but God says, Son, I give it to you, yes, for you, but I give it to you that you might communicate it to those who belong to you. 
It's a transmission from God to His Son and then communica- communicated uh, from Jesus to this angel and the angel to John uh, th- and then from that, from John, in turn wrote it down and transmitted to you and me, Christ's bond slaves. How amazing to me. I just think of how amazing that God's gift to His beloved Son was also to be revealed to you and me. Oh, dear ones, how precious you are to God. Every single one of you, how precious you are to God. He says, I want you to know how I'm going to exalt my son because you're involved in that exaltation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bond servants. By the way, it says it was transmitted from them from the angel to John. This is John the Apostle. There's no reason to dispute that. All the early church fathers, for the most part, they're on board with that, that it was John the Apostle. Written when he was on that Isle of Patmos, probably around 95 A.D., He was the last of the apostles, by the way, that was a living. He was going through suffering and persecution. And yet he writes this as God gave it to him. What encouragement to him, what encouragement to the others that were suffering, even today, how encouraging this book is. It is possible that it was the angel Gabriel. We don't know that. We're not going to be dogmatic. But it's interesting that when you get to the book of Daniel, it was Gabriel that revealed the prophetic uh, things to him. And so maybe it was Gabriel here, we don't know. But number two, why this is a closed and confusing book to the unsaved? You can imagine, can't you? person doesn't belong to God, he gets to the book of Revelation, I mean, he's utterly lost. It's like, that's just a bunch of symbolic uh, good literature, maybe and that's the extent. Who could comprehend and understand this? Well, maybe they're reading private mail, you know. The believers who have placed... Their faith in God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, are called His bondservants, bondslaves, a title that refers to their acknowledgement of His Lordship. Remember Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth, it means you're doing it with your mouth because you believe it now, that Jesus is what? Lord. That means God. It means sovereign one in control. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. What's the rest of it? Thou shalt be saved. The Holy Spirit authored this book, the Bible. The Holy Spirit authored every one of your salvation that's saved. You didn't get saved without Him working your heart and drawing you. And now that He dwells within you, you see, He says, I've got a message for you, a precious message. A gift that God gave to His Son, and now He wants you to enjoy it as well and to be blessed by it. That's what we're talking about here. But somebody who's unsaved, if you don't belong to God and His Son, you don't have God's Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And you know, this can only be a book of judgment in that case. You don't want that. You want to be in on this. You want to be one of God's children. You want to be forgiven. I was thinking about, as we were singing that one course about the blood of Jesus Christ, you know, from, they had, had it put up here about, from Hebrews. And I thought, Lord, I wouldn't even be going to heaven if it wasn't for you. It's you. It's you. It's not me making some kind of an effort here. It's not me trying to be so good. No, no, it's you, Lord. It's what you have done. You have paid my sins in full. You have completely, fully forgiven me. I still fall into sin and still I'm yours. I'm your son and always will be. And I'm secure because I'll tell you what, that's the hope. And that's we are the ones that this is written to that we might understand it and be blessed by it. I encourage you, because if God's working in your heart, then turn your heart to him. Don't fool around. You're You're living in very dangerous times.
in a very, very wicked, evil, dangerous world. And time, you know, I don't live by days anymore. I live by months. September's almost gone. I mean, I don't know how many of you live that way, but I just can't believe it. it's it's months going by instead of weeks or by days. And I think my time is flying by. It's so moving so quickly, so rapidly, and so are all these events. And you want to know that you belong to Jesus. You want to put your faith in Him. It isn't joining a church. We encourage you to be a part of a church, to get in the Word and worship God and to grow and to encourage one another. But that isn't the key. It's you putting your faith in Jesus Christ, confessing, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm going to go to hell. I'm going to end up in the lake of fire and I don't want to. And I, I see things changing so quickly in this world, just as you said throughout your Bible here. And I'm concerned and I want to be forgiven. I want to be saved. And I'm asking you, come into my heart and save me. I can't save myself. Don't even want to try. I'll trust you to save me. And believe me, if ever a book needed to be studied today, it's this last book of the Bible in this age we're living in. Number three, it's great importance is seen in its language stressing urgency. Number three, it's great importance is seen in its language stressing urgency. Verse one, the things which must soon or shortly, take is a word, take place. Verse three, for the time is near. And the last chapter, 22, Three times he says, behold, I am coming quickly. Three times he says it. Verse 7, verse 12, and verse 20. Yes, I am coming quickly. Well, how are we to take these words stressing urgency in light of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has not come and has not judged the world and established his thousand-year reign here upon the earth and brought about the resurrection of all the righteous? He's not cast Satan into that lake of fire or that bottomless pit even uh, and uh, brought about the new heaven and the earth. Well, then how are we to take these words? That's what it says. I'm coming quickly. Time is near and so forth. Well, we're given some insight by how that word translated soon or shortly or quickly is used elsewhere in the New Testament. Look with me at Luke 18, would you? Luke 18. I'll give you a couple examples of it to help us to understand it. Luke 18. This was the widow and the unjust judge. She kept coming to him, asking him to vindicate her cause, and she finally wore him down, and he did. Here's how Jesus concludes that in verses 7 and 8 of Luke 18. Now, Jesus will not God bring about justice for his elect who cried him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will bring about justice for them quickly. Same word, take. He'll bring it about quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What's he saying there? He's saying it's not going to happen immediately. There's going to be a long session of time here because even faith will be diminishing off the face of the earth. And believe me, I am seeing that really ratchet up more and more. That's concerning me about God's people. It's interesting, when the heat is turned up and the fires begin to burn, how many people turn away? Look at another example, Romans 16. Romans 16. Same word used as in Revelation.
Romans chapter 16 and uh, I believe it's verse 20. Yeah, verse 20. The God of peace will soon... There it is, Takai, same one, quickly. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Paul wrote that 2,000 years ago. Satan is still not crushed under my feet. It's not crushed under their feet. It has the sense of certainty. Element of certainty. The prophecy is assured. It will come to pass. But secondly, it has the idea of speed. When the time comes, it will happen quickly. For example, you look at the book of Revelation. I talked about what the seven-day Adventists do with chapter 12 and the 1260 days. They turn into years. There really is no need for that because in that three and one-half years, you see most of those judgments poured out upon the world. That happens when it begins. It happens quickly. Within three and one-half years, all those judgments are poured out upon the world. But also it reminds us of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that with all of my heart. You and I must live in light of the Lord's return. Did he not promise to come back? I mean, if you want to put him at the beginning of the tribulation, before it begins, or at the end, did he not promise to come back? Yes, he did. Did he not tell you throughout Scripture to live in light of his return? All those who have this hope fixed on himself purifies himself just as he is pure. That's the need of the church. That is the need of the church. Lift up your heads, and I preached on that earlier. Lift up your heads for your redemption is drawing nigh. And boy, is it not so. We don't want the church to be asleep. And so it has the idea of certainty, of speed, as well as of the coming of the Lord that could happen imminently at any time. It could happen at any time, therefore we should always be ready and be living in expectation of His return. By the way, you might say, well, why the delay? Well, I'll tell you, we're told why. Second Peter 3 tells you why. God is still saving people. And people, you look at the, you look at what's going on in mission work, and a lot of people, they're laying down their lives, they're, they're being tortured, but lots and lots of people are being saved. You that went through the Voice of the Mars Conference, I'm sure you heard that. Lots of people around the world are getting saved, and God is saving people. But there comes a point when He says, that's it. Son, get your bride. Go. And I think that tribulation begins, and masses of people will be slaughtered. It'll be a dark time like never, never before. And I'll tell you what, you really don't want to be here. Number four, it's great importance is seen in God's pronouncing a blessing upon the reader and hearers. It's great importance is seen in God's pronouncing a blessing upon the reader and hearers. This, by the way, is the first of seven blessings that God pronounces in the book of Revelation. There are seven of them. It's kind of like the complete number seven. This is the very first one. And what a blessing. I mean, what a blessing. God has given this revelation as a gift to His Son. And He has given it as well to you and me, who are the born-again children, His born-again children. And this book was not written to mystify us. Not to be a closed book at all, but rather in order that we might be encouraged by it. And it does encourage my heart. W.A. Criswell writes, Lest the reader hesitate, 
God writes at the very door of the book this marvelous beatitude. Blessed is he that reads and they that hear and treasure the words of the prophecy. He goes on, did not Mary, our mother's Lord, struggle to understand God's message and plan for her? But the scripture says, Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. There are things we'll clearly understand about the book of Revelation as we go through these five chapters. There might be other things we'll say, I wonder what he meant by that. And we'll leave it at that. I believe in that uh, time when those 144,000 get converted, they'll really understand it. And they'll really make it clear at that time. There would have been only one copy of this letter per church at the most. Can you imagine? Now, look, for example, going back to Revelation chapter 1, look at verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. What's he saying? You guys know me. Here I'm in my 90s and I've been exiled there and I'm suffering on this, you know, because of my testimony of Jesus and belonging to him and proclaiming him. And he says, you're going through hard times as well. And this letter is written to you to encourage you in these hard times you're going through. Can you imagine going to church that Sunday? I don't know how many would have been in the church at Ephesus, for example. And uh, most of them, by the way, did not read. And so... Here, here, here's the lectern, the guy that reads, he says, Hey guys, listen, I got a letter from John. I got a letter from the, the last living apostle, John. You know, he's on the Isle of Patmos, and he got a letter, and he, I want to read this. Can you imagine sitting there as he read the whole book of Revelation to you? I mean, what would you understand? I don't know, but I know one thing. You would be so encouraged. Why? Because it's about... God says, son, this is my gift to you. This is how this is all going to play out. I exalt you. And I exalt those that belong to you. What an encouragement to those who are laying down their lives today. Just in the news, I understand that in Nigeria, not too far from where Judy Strand will be going back to the agricultural college. There was a slaughter of about 50 students there. I believe you mentioned, they said at the Voice of the Martyrs, Kathy, at Kenya, they're lining them up and they're saying, are you a Christian? If so, they shot them dead. They murdered them. Folks, this is happening around the world. And it'll be a different kind of persecution that's going on here, but it's already started. You understand that? It's already started. And it'll be interesting how it plays out. I can almost tell you, and I'm not going to do it this morning, but I can almost sense how it's going to play out, you know, step by step what's going to happen. Go down there and stand by the abortion clinic. You won't stand there unscathed. Oh, they may not stop their car and get out and beat the stuffings out of you. But uh, you'll, you'll be affected by what they imply and what they try to do to intimidate you and express their disgust and disdain and hatred for you because you're standing up for the unborn and for the scriptures. Oh, folks, it's happening. Maybe not like in Nigeria, maybe not like in Kenya and other places of the world, but it's happening. And it's growing darker and darker. And can you imagine having this book read? William Hendrickson says he helps us to capture what a blessing this letter would have been to those early believers as well as to believers today when he writes, What a wealth of comfort! 
What an insight into the future. Above all, what an unveiling of the love of God is contained in the words of the prophecy of this book. Persecuted believer, this book of Revelation seeks to impart comfort to you. This letter comforts the militant church in its struggle against the forces of evil. In this book, we find that God sees their tears. He even describes in the book where it is, and I won't give all the references. Their prayers rule the world. Their death is precious in His sight, and their soul immediately ascends to heaven, a heaven whose glory far surpasses the intensity of earthly suffering. Their final victory is assured. Their blood will be avenged. Their Christ, their Christ lives and reigns forever and ever. The apocalypse, that is this revelation, intends to show you, dear believer, that things are not what they seem. Do you see that band of believers? Are their garments splashed and filthy? They wash their robes and make them white in the blood of the Lamb. Are they in great tribulation? Ah, they come out of it. Are they killed? They stand upon their feet. Are they persecuted by the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet? In the end, you see them standing upon the earth upon victoriously on Mount Zion. Does it seem as if their prayers are not heard? The judgments sit upon the earth are God's answer to their prayers. Do they seem to be defeated? In reality, ah, they reign. Yes, they reign upon the earth. They will reign in heaven with Christ as well as in the new heaven and forever and ever. I think of this voice of the martyrs conference and many of you. How many of you went, by the way? Well, I'm sure you heard about the suffering, your suffering believers throughout the world there at that conference. Again, I mentioned about Kenya and the murdering of Christians in Nigeria and the attack that's going on there even now. And those who seem to conquer, what about them? What about those who seem to be in control and power and conquer? Are they not ultimately cast into the lake of fire where they are tormented day and night forever and ever? Is not Satan finally bound and then cast into the lake of fire and be tormented day and night forever and ever? I say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And this book was written as a gift to God's son. And then he says, son, give it to my people, your people. Let them be encouraged. Especially those who are going through suffering and those in that end time that now seems to be upon us. But number five, God not only pronounces a blessing, He also pronounces a curse. As the first chapter pronounces a blessing upon the reader and those who hear what is read, you get to the last chapter. And it pronounces a curse. Listen to verses 18 and 19 of that last chapter, chapter 22. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. I don't think he's talking about people who try to understand the book and they misinterpret it. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about people who say, this is a bunch of trash. I don't believe that God wrote this. I don't believe what God says there. I don't believe that there's a Jesus that died on the cross for the mankind. That's stupid. That's foolish. 
I believe it's every man doing his own thing. You see, I think that's what he's talking about. But he pronounces that curse as well as a blessing. The blessing? What is the blessing? There is a coming future glory of Christ which all believers will participate in. But, there is also the other side, the curse, the coming future judgment on every unbeliever. This book predicts with detail the coming glory of Jesus Christ and the glory of the saints, you and me who belong to Him, who are going to share in that glory with Him. But, it also predicts the damnation of the sinner. There is a lamb who has been slain, but there is also the wrath of the very same lamb. There is the river of the water of life, but there is also the lake of fire where all the unsaved will be cast. Here we find a God of love who will dwell among His children and wipe away all tears and abolish all sorrow and pain and even abolish death. And yet we see before us, before that, He will send His enemies into the place of sorrow, pain, suffering, tears, and a death called the second death, the lake of fire. So you see the great importance of this book of Revelation to you and me. This book is all about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes, you'll discover marvelous things about Him. It's also about the fact that He says, I am coming again in power and glory. But it's also God's gift to Him to says, I want to show, Son, how it's all going to work out step by step. You share that with those who belong to you. You encourage their hearts. Stand in having done all. Stand firmly in your faith and walk with the Lord. Heavenly Father, that's just three verses, but what a glorious start. We thank you that it's not just literature, not just futuristic literature full of symbols and signs, wonders, But it's about an unveiling of you, Lord Jesus Christ. And we want that high view of you. You're our God, our Savior, if we put our faith in you. You're our hope. We uh, are a little nervous and we're a little concerned about how things are changing in this country here. And then we read about the awful predicament and horrific situations that our brothers and sisters are facing around the world. I mean, they must flee for their very lives. To even express they belong to you is to be potentially slaughtered. The end of their physical life. To see the horror of those they love being slaughtered before their eyes. Lord, we know, we don't want to put our head in the sand. We know that's what's going on. And soon it may also come here. Lord, help us not just to be secure. I pray that we'll have such a high view of you. And thank you, God, our Father, for showing and giving this as a gift to your Son so that He would behold step by step how it's all going to play out. And then you told Him, share it with those that are His children. Share it with His bond slaves. Those that said they've confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and that you raised Him from the dead and they're saved. Share it with them and bless them as they read it and those who hear it and those who obey it. Father, this week, may we actually work at living our lives 
in light of your son's glorious return. I pray as well for any person who has not put their faith in you, Jesus Christ. These are deadly, dangerous times. They just may not have tomorrow to make that decision. Holy Spirit, would you speak to them using your word here? Behold, the time is near. Behold, I come quickly. And now we're at the very end of time. The stage has been set around the world. We see things that we are just unimaginable, unbelievable, just as you predicted in Scripture. Now the stage is set. It is so important that every person here has put their faith in you. Would you draw them? Would you, oh, mercifully save them, we pray, that they'll know the joy of salvation, even if they have to suffer. They'll know the joy of salvation and know that they belong to you, and they too are going to go to heaven. Be that you come back, or they should lay down their lives and die. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.